Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 717 of our three-year journey through the Word of God, and we are back in the Gospel of Luke, coming to the end of this wonderful Gospel, Luke chapter 23. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Gospel of Luke and for all that you've been teaching us over these last few months that we've been in this wonderful Gospel. Every part of your word is a blessing and a treasure to us. We pray that you would write Luke 23 on our hearts, that you would help us to grow in knowledge and understanding and wisdom and love for you and in love for others. As we see Christ here so clearly in this chapter, may our hearts be drawn to him. May our lives be shaped by him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 23. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate answered him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas! A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time, he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt concerning deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, 
they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wounds that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, for he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. 
It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested, according to the commandment. That's Luke 23. Hmm. Such a Savior, such a wonderful, powerful Savior. So we begin. Jesus has been put on this mock trial before the Sanhedrin, where he himself testified of the truth concerning himself, that he's the Son of Man and he's coming in the clouds of glory. The only thing they could find to condemn him on is that he claimed to be the Son of God, which is the truth. So he's condemned for speaking the truth about himself. They bring in the Pilate, and Pilate examines him, asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus simply says, You have said so. But Pilate, after examining him in the Gospel of John, gives us a little bit longer detail of the examination process that Pilate went through. But Pilate examines him and simply says, I find no guilt in this man. But it was the leadership of the Jewish people, and it was the crowd of the Jewish people who said, we don't want this man anymore. The leaders said to Pilate, he stirs up the people. He teaches throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. And so Pilate says, well, maybe I can get myself out of this by just handing this off off to Herod. Now, we're not told in Luke's gospel, but, but Pilate's wife had had a dream in which she was warned not to have anything to do with Jesus. And so she had kind of warned her husband. And so he's, he's really wanting to get just not have to do this, not have to have anything to do with this. He didn't want to be memorialized for all time in the Apostles' Creed with that phrase, crucified under Pontius Pilate. So he sends Jesus off to Herod. And Herod uh, examines him and basically says, nah, there's nothing here worth putting someone to death about. And then we get this interesting little fact that Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day, for before this day they had been at enmity with each other. And here we see Jesus, even in the process of being unjustly tried and condemned, Jesus is bringing reconciliation to people who had been estranged lifelong. Pilate represented the Roman authority. Herod was uh, the, the, the son of Herod the Great, and he was the Tetrarch over Galilee, and so he was sort of the the local king, right? There's a lot of politics behind that, but basically they're sort of of competing power structures. One is king uh, of the people, and one is the governor from Rome. But here they become friends because they both see how Jesus is innocent, and they both see eye to eye on something, and they both kind of have a common enemy or opponent or challenge in the Jewish uh, leadership that's trying to seize, uh, that's trying to manipulate things for their own benefit. So Pilate calls together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he says, look, you brought me this man. You told me he's one who's misleading the people. I've examined him. I didn't find anything against him. Herod examined him. He sent him back to us. Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I'm going to punish him and release him. Basically, Pilate says, I'm just going to have the guy whipped, beaten, uh, it'll, it'll, you know, if he is a troublemaker, it'll send a message and he'll just be sent home. 
But they all cried together. Who all cried together? The chief priests and the rulers of the people. This is the Sanhedrin. This is the leadership. This is, they all cry together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And then they get the crowd involved. And uh, other gospel writers tell us that they had worked around, among the crowd and had stirred up the crowd. And the crowd is crying now, crucify, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What evil has he done? But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Now, at this point, we can get angry at the Jewish leadership. We can get angry at the easily manipulated mob of Jewish people who were in town to celebrate the Passover. We can get indignant at what is happening on a human political level. But the truth of what is happening is that Jesus is willingly laying down his life for you and for me, for our salvation. And so we don't need to get indignant. We should be humbled and thankful because we are just as much responsible for Jesus going to the cross because he went there for your sins and for mine. He went there to save us and he went there willingly. Jesus had great power and great authority. Jesus could have gotten himself out of this if he wanted to get out of it, but this is why he had come into the world. This was his act of redemption for us and for our salvation. Simon of Cyrene comes in here, and he's probably remembered because he becomes a member of the church. If Simon had only carried the cross and then had walked away and never become a follower of Jesus, we probably wouldn't know his name. But people who are named in the Gospels are named because they're known to the early church because they become members of the church. And so Simon, in meeting Jesus that day and in carrying his cross up to Calvary, becomes a follower of Jesus. And the women are mourning and lamenting for him. And Jesus, in his compassion, turns to them and says, Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Because judgment is coming on you. Right? He's, he's warning them about what's going to come in AD 70, which will really come upon their children and their generation. But it is, it is not going to be good for them. Jesus will be fine. Jesus is going to be resurrected and exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He's going to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, he's going to go through literal hell for us on the cross. He's going to be crushed for our iniquities, but his suffering will end and he will be glorified forever. Jerusalem will be destroyed in the judgment of God in, in less than 40 years time. And that is really worth weeping about. And then we have the two criminals on either side of him, the two thieves on the two sides of him. And at first they're both railing him. At first they're both, you know, mocking him. But then after the soldiers uh, cast lots, you find one criminal continuing to rail at him and the other criminal rebuking him and saying, do you not fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. We're here justly. We've received the due reward for our deeds. This man's done nothing wrong. And then in a remarkable act of faith, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He remarkably sees the truth about who Jesus is, even when he is helpless and dying on a Roman cross in open shame and humiliation, when his disciples have scattered, when, when the women are watching from a distance, this man, this thief on the cross, 
looks into the eyes of Jesus, sees this man dying beside him and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, this man's done nothing wrong. He's going to come into his kingdom. He is who he said he is. And Jesus in grace and love looks at him and says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is one of the places in scripture where we get uh, an insight into what happens to believers when we die. We go to be with the Lord in paradise. The thief on the cross was told today, not, not when the resurrection happens, but today you will be with me in paradise. Now the resurrection still happens at the end of time where the new bodies are uh, given to God's people forever, but, but the souls of believers immediately pass into glory, into paradise, into the paradise of God to be with Jesus forever. And then Jesus cries out, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathes his last. And the centurion who watches this says he's innocent. Mark has him saying that he's the son of God. And the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom, verse 45 tells us. That is very significant. That temple curtain is that which separated a holy God from a sinful people. God's Ark of the Covenant, God's footstool was in the Holy of Holies, although really by this time it had been lost in history, but that was the place of God's dwelling on earth in the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God on earth, the footstool of God on earth, his throne room in heaven, footstool on earth. And it was the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, and it was called the Holy of Holies. You went into the holy place, and then the high priest once a year could go into the holy, holy place, and there was the holy, holy, holy God. Well, now the temple curtain is torn in two because the the payment for sin has been satisfied. The, the debt has been paid. Uh, we've been cleansed. The way has been opened. And God now says to us, come to me. Your sins can be forgiven and cleansed free because of Jesus. And now we have another man who's named Joseph of Arimathea. Again, why do we know his name? Almost certainly because he is later a Christian, later joins the church. But it's also significant that the burial place of Jesus is named. And it's named as belonging to a well-known and prominent man. Jesus wasn't buried in some obscure tomb that might have been lost and forgotten about. He's buried in a rich man's tomb, in a member of the Sanhedrin's tomb, in a tomb that's known, and that's sealed, and that's guarded. All of this we'll get to next time we're in Luke when we get to evidence for the resurrection. But it's powerful as a testimony that this is real history, and that the resurrection really happened. Because if the early disciples were trying to cover it up or trying to make it up, they wouldn't have named a name, they wouldn't have located a tomb. That is way too specific for something that's a myth or for something that's just being made up as a, you know, a, a fable. It's the day of preparation. And so he's, he's laid in the tomb with a little bit of, a little bit of uh, preparation, but then the women go home to prepare spices and ointments and they rest on the Sabbath. They rest and he rests on that Sabbath day. Having finished the work of redemption, he rests just as God finished the work of creation and then rested. Here is Jesus, 
given to us in this powerful chapter as the Lamb of God dying for our sins, the Son of God in, in glory proclaimed as King of the Jews, telling the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, declared to be innocent, known to be innocent by those crucified with him, by those crucifying him at every level. The centurion knew he was innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent. Herod knew he was innocent. The thief on the cross next to him knew he was innocent. He was the spotless lamb of God. And he was dying for you and for me, for us and for our salvation. Oh, what a savior. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That forgiveness extends to us free and full because Jesus has paid the price. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a Savior. Thank you for such a salvation. Thank you for such undying, unwavering, unconquerable hope that we have in Jesus, our living Savior. Thank you that our sins have all been cleansed. Our shame has all been covered. The way to you has been thrown wide open. And you have even come out to us to seek us and save us and draw us to Jesus and draw us to yourself. What love is this? What a savior this is. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Luke 23. We are going to go back to Isaiah tomorrow and pick up with Isaiah 33. Have a blessed day in the Lord.